Thank you all. Um, how great indeed is the Lord's love for us. Well, we are going to dig into that this morning as we open up the book of Ruth again. We're going to be in Ruth uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13 this morning. And we have got, um, we've got some, some, we have some ballers out this morning. So um, some things might, might be a little bit different, but here's something that's really encouraging. Um, when you have um, one person in ministry and then that person can't be here, whether it's a, a praise team leader or you've got a youth leader or you've got a senior pastor, and then something can't continue to go on, then what you have is not really a ministry. You have a man. And, and we have people that have, God has providentially put in place to lead music, to run sound, to do slides, to do all the things we need to do, and we should be so thankful to our God for that. And so the reason we're, we're kind of in this mode this morning, we've got some people that are sick, and so if you would just keep some people in your prayers. We've got people that are out traveling. Keep them in your prayers, but like uh, the Moffat family, uh, not feeling so hot this weekend, so just keep them in your prayers. Um, it is, though, nonetheless great to be with you, and let's start this morning actually with our memory verse. Um, it's coming from Ruth chapter 4. Verse 14, Ruth chapter 4, verse 14. This is only the third week, right? We're in this, so maybe you don't have it memorized. It's up there on the screen for you. Let's read this together. Ruth 4, verse 14. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. So, um, his name is the name to be renowned to any of us up here. We are not the point. We might be a point, but he is the point. May the Lord's name today and always be uh, renowned. Um, that's certainly been the point, though, actually, in, in my life. The Lord has shown me over the last few days just how gracious and how good he's been to me in preparing uh, for this. And so I've got to first say to this entire church that you have been better to me. You have treated me so well. You have done more for me than I could ever possibly do for you or, uh, or, or, or treat you in, in any way. And so I want to thank you for that. God has revealed his generosity, taking me out of my hometown, whatever, put me down here after college and, and, and bringing me to this body. Uh, with with my wife and so in this I've realized just the responsibility that I bear as a conduit um, of God's good grace even because of you all and so last week during discipleship hour <clears throat> Peter asked us he said um, it, it, we're reading through through first Corinthians and his question was what is it that we're thankful to God for because of this church and repeatedly it was the people who came up people were th most thankful to God for the, the people of the church, and specifically, I think it was like how we minister to one another, whether it's ministering to children, whether it's coming alongside one another, and I, I thought how God has really blessed me, and I just, I realized that these realizations that we were making during discipleship hour couldn't have been more true. God has provided for this church in so many rich way, ways, and, and, and how I came to land here was, again, a provision of God. The first time I ever came here was during college, and there was this lunch, and, and I believe that after the service, and I believe that thing was actually led by Daryl Caldwell. I remember one time also coming in here, like Daryl Caldwell, it was like my second time ever here. Daryl Caldwell shook my hand so hard, I had coffee in this hand, and I spilled coffee everywhere, like all over my arm. And I'm like, great to meet you. And, and it was, that's how much Daryl loves people. And so that was, like that spilled coffee, 
uh, hurt, but he has been a, a, a blessing. But then also, like, when I first got here, now he wasn't going here yet, but Peter Gosnell was somebody I first met on Muskingum's campus. And, and then I, I start to watch him, and I get this picture of how strong of a man he is. Um, and, and I mean that in, in, like, the most, like, godly sense of a man and, and just watching his humility. And, and so then I started coming here a little more after college, and I got plugged in with Zach Henderson and Phil Wentworth, and, and we got to, and John Boyd, that's when we got to meet, and we got to hanging out, and that made me want to get more involved after hanging out with those guys. Eventually, I poured over to John Johnson, who was the pastor, and we spent some time together, and then, like, people like the Thompsons started pouring into me, um, and, and so the, the first team I had the opportunity to serve on, I think it was a praise team, and, and that was being led by Joe Phipps. Um, he had just taken that on, and then early on getting here also, like within my first year or two maybe being here, Rob Zacharich would get with me and pray, um, and that was every couple weeks or, or once a month or so. And then Brian got here and wanted to spend more time with me than every, anybody ever really has. And after that, then D groups started to take place, and I've got to know people. Like, I'm in this new season now, like this new kind of season is happening, and I'm getting to meet people like Drew Mitchell. We pray together. I love praying with him. Um, I'm hanging out a little bit with like Mike Rowling. He's showing me the ropes on mountain bikes. Um, Jay and Misty Travis remind me so much of even just like, like Tom and Janet Elliott, how they're encouraging too. And Jay and Misty are so encouraging. Like Jay, if you ever get a chance, he's a big dude, might scare you, but he gives the best bro hugs. And, and like he, he, he gives the best handshakes and always says the most encouraging things at the right time. And so my point in recalling all this as much like Ruth is going to come to Boaz in our passage this morning, I came here in college to glean what I could glean. And God has used this people in an encouraging way to build me up, much like Boaz is going to do with Ruth in today's passage. And so let's read our passage together. Crack your Bibles open. It's just 13 verses. Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1 and just read the whole thing here for us. Now Naomi... A relative of her husband, of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And, Boaz, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, he said, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young man, the young men, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And so... Let me pray for our time as we start to dive into this. God, um, we thank you for this story of Ruth and meeting Boaz and the picture that it paints of your grace and your goodness. Lord, through what we learn today as we draw out your scriptures, will you change our hearts? Will you make your glory and your grace and your mercy known within us so that we may take it to other people and that, Lord, your kingdom may be built? I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, I, I love me Bob Ross. And he's probably got one of the like, most famous sayings TV has ever heard. He was painting this river, and it looked like he was going to jack it up, and he, said, and he said this famous line, he said, we don't make mistakes, we have happy accidents. And in this passage, we could be like really easily tempted to apply that line to this very thing. But as we dive in, we're going to see what's happening with Ruth is not a mistake, and it's definitely not an accident. The author is really going to make that clear in how the story is told. And the author points out here in verse 1 that Naomi has a relative on Elimelech's side named Boaz. In verse 1, the author is introducing a character that we actually haven't met yet. And the author then jumps right back to the circumstance of Naomi and Ruth. See, they moved in from out of town. Remember, Naomi left. She went to another place, and now she's coming back, and she's coming back with less than she left with. Um, not a good thing. She's, leaving, she's coming back with less than she had and more people. And so they've got to get food. So here's the deal. Ruth is going to go work in the field. She's going to glean what she can in the field. That means gather for food. And we'll be introduced to a phrase here. It says, she happened. And this is, she happened to come to the part of the field that Boaz owned. And the phrase was intentionally used in kind of this ironic way. And so don't overlook what's happening in the story. This isn't actually happenstance that she goes to Boaz's field. It's not a mistake this poor woman with nothing actually goes to a worthy man's field. Because we've got to think about the context in which this is placed. See, the book of Judges, this takes place in the time of Judges, the book of Judges is like this big picture of what's going on in Israel at the time. And this book is this tiny little picture of, of, of a moment with a specific group of people in the time of the Judges. And, and so uh, the, the story of Ruth matters immensely to God, even though it's this little moment in here, because we're going to see the lineage of Christ out of this. This story isn't an accident. And we can draw a conclusion from that, that you know what? You being here is not an accident. Um, it's funny because everything we do in life, it seems like an accident to us. Yet God is always working a bigger plan in our lives. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't believe for a second that it was an accident that I walked into this church in college. I don't believe for a second that, that it's an accident that Ken was my trainer and that Peter Gosnell is the first person, the first teacher I met at Muskingum to sign me up for classes and it was biblical theology. Um, those things are not accidents. They are gifts from God. And so we cannot live this Christian life thinking that God is not concerned with the details of our life. We can't live this life thinking God isn't paying attention to the details 
of each of our lives. That's why we say each week in announcements and in Awana, and we'd say at youth group that, that uh, no one is here by accident. Our gatherings are not random pop-ups. You being here isn't an accident. And so the same thing is true here. And here's why this matters. Ruth is an unbecoming foreigner. She's not from Israel. In fact, she's from a place that doesn't even like Israel. But in this small picture during the time of Judges, this seemingly poor woman, not from Israel, matters. And so, um, I don't know who might need to hear this then, but then that means that even you matter. You're not insignificant to God. Every person is a part of God's plan. So understanding this principle, that because each person matters to God, and here's the other part of that, every person should matter to us. And so let's keep reading to see how that very idea should play itself out then in our lives. Um, let's read verses 4 through 7. Let's check these out. We, we stepped away from it for a second. And Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So here we finally meet Boaz. This is going to be the first time we meet him, and, and he comes off, like, this is strange. Like, I always read this kind of funny, but it's like, he's like the world's nicest boss. And, and so it's like, your walk, boss walks up to you, he's like, one day, like, oh, Valerie, Lord be with you. And then you pretend you like your boss enough to say, oh, the Lord bless you. Like, obviously, Boaz is a liked guy. And this gives some really concrete proof to the idea that Boaz was a worthy noble man. But it also reveals something else about Boaz. In the time of Israel, where the book of Judges points out, says this, that in these days, the time we're reading, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And yet Boaz is a man who is going to acknowledge the Lord's presence with his people. He's particularly recognizing the Lord's presence, again, with respect to his workers here and his harvest. And the workers respond by acknowledging the same presence of God. And this tells us that Boaz's faith in the Lord, um, it's, it, excuse me, he's recognizing his faith as recognizing that this harvest comes from God. His good blessings come from God. But also, his faith then, because the workers repeat this, is the culture of the workplace. And so Boaz's faith has resulted in a detailed care for his workers. Um, he's, not, he's not removed from his workers. He's not unfamiliar with what's happening with his workers. And we know this because Ruth is there, and she's someone new, and he recognizes it. Because he knows his people. Just don't lose sight of this. We just said that God cares about the details of our lives. And so God's people, like Boaz, should have intentional care for other people's lives. God's people should have intentional care for other people's lives. Again, because God cares about people's lives, we should care about people. 
And so it's not an accident, again, that Ruth comes to this particular field with this particular man. It's not an accident that Boaz is the one managing this field. And there's a tremendous amount of application here. If God is concerned with the details of your life, then check this out. It's not an accident that you're in the place you're in, and it's not an accident that the Lord has given you the things that he's given you. So what has God given you? Are you the boss at work? Has he given you employees? Are you the employee at work? Has he given you a boss? Are you a spouse to someone? Has God given you a husband or wife? Do you have friends? Has, hasn't God placed friends in our lives? Are you a kid and God's given you parents? Are you a parent and God's given you kids? Are you part of a church and God has given you a people? Again, if you have these things, they're not by accident. I think sometimes people stress us out to the point where we're like, oh my gosh, they, I, I don't want anything to do with them. And in those moments, forget that they are from God. And so um, um, Boaz has been blessed by God's grace. And, and in reflection, I think that it's okay to ask, how do we bless others then? All these people that we might have just listed, how do we bless them out of God's blessing to us? Ruth comes to this field during a time of harvest. Like Boaz's team has been working all year for this and they're getting what they can get. And, and so this itself is providential that Ruth comes during the harvest when there's food. Um, and this is what's allowed then Ruth to become. Boaz, even being faithful to follow commands of God, is what's allowed Ruth to then be the recipient of God's grace and blessings herself. See, because Boaz was the recipient of grace and his people honored the Lord, then now Ruth can be a recipient of that grace. And you see, we can call this grace because what Ruth is collecting, she has done nothing to deserve. She hasn't worked for it. She's a hot mess express. She's sweaty, she's poor, she's foreign. You see, there's a law that we read earlier. Rob read it in, in Deuteronomy 24. It says this. Um, you can also find it in Leviticus 19. When you beat your olive tree, don't go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather grapes of your vineyard, don't strip it afterward. It will be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. See the end of that. They were slaves in Egypt. That's why God made this command. Once they were wanderers in the wilderness. Once they were oppressed and God shed his mercy and his grace upon them. And now he's commanded his people to do the same. See, Boaz is faithful to that. Let us be faithful to that. What I mean is I too was once a wanderer. I too was once oppressed by my own sin. I was a slave dead to sin. In fact, I was so enslaved to sin, I shunned the good things of God. And yet what does God do by the blood of his son? He sets me free. He pulls me out of bondage so that like Ruth in the field, I get to share the grace of God. You get to share the grace of God. And so now I only hope that I can be like Boaz and share God's grace and blessing with other people. And so this really shape, this should shape how we treat others. And so here's something that's like been eating me up. We're talking about treating other people well. I had this customer who was really sick one time and he kept getting angry at me. And I'm like, why are you getting, like, we're friends. What is your deal? And his wife's like, when he's sick like this, it's the people he's closest to that he gets mad at. Like, why do we do that? 
And, and so like one day, this has really been killing me, Piper was playing on the couch. I'm trying to fit like 23 hours, literally, I was trying to delete this file off my flash drive. And it was a super slow computer. And so I set it on the couch. I was up all night trying to do this, had it plugged in. And, and Piper keeps going over to this side of the couch. And I'm like, Piper, don't go near my computer. Don't go to this side of the couch. You're going you're gonna to really mess something up. And, and I've been working on this. And um, uh, it, I'm still like blown away. It was ridiculous. She looks at me like, how dare you tell me where to go on the couch? <laughs> and she goes, Dad, it's my couch too. I can go where I want to go. And so, like, I think you probably know where this is going. You all probably had this conversation. I lit up. And I said, your couch, your couch, everything you see in this house is mine and your mom's. Everything you eat, everything you touch, and, like, I'm feeling like Mufasa. I'm like, everything the sun touches is mine. And, and I'm like, everything is mine. I'm simply feeding you or lending stuff to you. And, like, at some, but then at, like, at some level, I'm thinking, like, like, it hits me that, like, God's up there being like, oh, it's yours. <laughs> it's yours. Everything you see and touch and eat is yours. I so said, that was really crummy. Like, that beat the tar out of me for a while. I talked to my daughter this way, and then God's like, but God didn't say that. He's super kind to me. He just let me feel it. And so, um, and so, but like that wasn't convicting enough. And so then I started to read, though, this Paul David Tripp book. Corey and I have started this book called Parenting by, by Paul David Tripp. And it was so funny, when I picked that book out, Corey's like, oh, why'd you pick that? Do you have like husbanding down already? <laughs> I'm like, no, I just want to be a better parent. And so I'm, I'm reading this, but Paul, Paul points out um, that what we do a lot of times is we t- think of parenting as like ownership. Um, and, and I realized that, that not only, as I'm reading this, I realized that not only is all the stuff in our house not mine, but my children are not mine. And so Tripp continues to point out what happens is we tend to think more about what we want our children to be and, and what we want our children to do for us than thinking about what God intends for their lives. And he references Psalm 127 that says, children are a heritage from the Lord. We can look at Psalm 24 that says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. All of us are the Lord's. And you see, when children grow grow up, check this out, they don't stop being the Lord's. People, as Boaz has been faithful to acknowledge, belong to God. I would contend that um, it's when I'm experiencing blessings from God that I often forget to share God's grace and give God the praise for the blessing. Yet what we see here is that Boaz, in this harvest, is gracious to his workers when he's receiving God's grace. And that grace rolls downhill even further to Ruth. And so let's look at how he treats Ruth as we, we wrap, uh, wrap this up. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. I'm going to read them again. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field and they are not, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So now Boaz has talked to Ruth for the first time. And what he does is he puts her at ease. See, she not only needs to be able to gather food for herself, but she actually has to grab enough food for two people consistently. So he tells her, he says, don't, don't leave this field. And then he goes a little further, and he provides water for her, and he provides safety for her. He tells his, his young men not to touch her. And so it was interesting, as I read through this story th- this time, I've read through it a bunch, but this time, I had the same question Ruth actually had. Why? Why? She asks this really important question. Why has she found favor in Boaz's eyes? And knowing what we know about the rest of the book, it's easy to think, well, she must have been pretty. Like she, she must have been a knockout, and he was attracted to her. But that's not the reason. See, it actually doesn't mention anything about her appearance in here. See, think about this. She's been working. She's coming from nothing. She's poor. She's sweaty. She's been in a field. She probably didn't look all that great. Most importantly, Boaz was attracted to her character. And we know that Boaz is right to honor for this reason. As we see in chapter 3, the same word that describes Boaz as worthy also describes Ruth as, as, as worthy. Boaz is a good judge of character. And so here's the thing, though. She's worthy, even though she didn't have anything to bring to the table. Mainly, it was her commitment to Naomi that Boaz was honoring. That's what it says in verse 11. He tells her, all that she has done for her mother-in-law has been fully told to him. And now she left her father and mother in native land and came to a people she didn't know. And see, this is so interesting because of the land that she was from, Israel, they were told, y'all don't deal with the Moabites. Deuteronomy 23 tells us, No Moabite, check this out, no Moabite was to enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet Israel with bread and water on the way when they came out of Egypt. However, all this has changed when Ruth told Naomi one thing, when when she said that Naomi's people would become her people and that Naomi's God would become her God. This took Ruth from a status of a foreigner to a sojourner, somebody who's looking to be in that land. And so she was no longer a foreigner. So then Boaz is going to be faithful to her and God by keeping the law regarding sojourners. And more importantly, God is going to be faithful to his people by showing grace to Ruth and Naomi, even though they were not faithful to him. Additionally, look at, look at Boaz's position. Boaz isn't going to keep the commands Um, is going to keep the commands of God, but he's hardly doing it out of a moralistic thing. Boaz is, he's allowing uh, her to gather food, but he's not doing it so he can earn his way into the promised land, but rather because he's already in this promised land. Boaz has already received God's grace in his covenant with Israel. Boaz has chosen in a time where every man was to do what's right in his own eyes, to be faithful to God. And as a result, Boaz is going to bring glory to the Lord. He takes no credit. He takes no credit for what the Lord um, has, has set up through his covenant. Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, under whose wing she has come to take refuge. 
And he does all this without her even being a servant. Again, Boaz has shown great mercy or has been shown great grace by God and he's now extending that grace. God's grace has made Boaz the worthy man that he's been described as. And so, fellow saints, let me ask you a question. What is your disposition towards other people? Is it to treat them like they owe you something? Managing people or like having relationships with people, it doesn't mean we treat them like we own them. As a Christian, it means that we live graciously with one another. With, we live with other people as if they belong to God because they do. I don't want to confuse that, 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 that every person is a child of God, but I want to make certain that we understand that every person serves a purpose because God created them. That's part of being an image bearer. But particularly in the church with our fellow saints, let us never forget to look at our brothers and sisters as someone God has loved so graciously that he sent his son for them and they've trusted the same grace that you do. Like how often do we get frustrated because ministries don't run the way we want them to? Or a fellow brother or sister doesn't have the same political views or they don't listen to the same preachers or music that we do. Francis Chan had a great line one time. When somebody comes into church and they're like, man, I, don't, I do not like the music there. I do not, Francis Chan says, it's a good thing we weren't worshiping you. Like, how often do we get frustrated with these things? Especially with each other as brothers and sisters. The Apostle Peter, though, has this to say. He says, above all, keeping love with one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards, or as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so here's why this matters. Because Ruth hasn't just made a commitment to Naomi, she's made a commitment to Naomi's God when she said, your God shall be my God. And that was the moment when she went from being a Moabite foreigner to a soj and a sojourner to looking to the God of Israel and receiving from God a reward. We might ask the same question Ruth did. Why does God find favor with us? Why does God give us reward? And in fact, it did take work for us to receive our reward, yet it was not our work. It was not our character. It was Christ's. God is the one who has given us great grace. We too were foreigners. God has sent his son, our redeemer, to rescue us. When we were enslaved, he reached down and he pulled us out of oppression. The moment we surrendered to him, the moment we called him our God, you see, when we trust that Christ's death on the cross paid our sins, we are giving up any chance that we think we have of earning our own salvation. Our good works, God says, are filthy rags because our best works can't be compared to the holiness of God. And so we can only come to a holy God like Ruth comes to Boaz, humbled and open-handed. When we give up trying to be good enough to get into heaven, and when we humbly accept that Christ is who makes us holy, 
the way Ruth humbly accepted Boaz's grace. That's the moment we, like Ruth, receive our reward. And check it out. That reward, ain't just, it ain't just you go to heaven and you get riches. It's God himself. You see, Jesus is alive and ruling. You're not trusting a dead guy when you trust Christ's payment for your sin. You're trusting the resurrected king who rules his creation as Boaz ruled his field. A king who is intimately involved in every detail of your life. You see, Ruth didn't just get food in this moment. This is the moment Ruth is going to be rebuilt. Her status is about to change, just as ours did when we placed our faith in our resurrected Redeemer. Again, like Ruth, we were all once foreigners. We were enemies of God, yet God came down and he shed his grace on every one of us. He took our place he, he shared in our struggle, becoming poor himself, and he brought us into a place of refuge so that by his poverty, we might become abundant in life. Where we're not just covered by wings, but rather by the cleansing blood of Christ. God's been faithful to us in bringing all of us together. So let us partake in spreading that grace to one another and beyond. If you're not a Christian, I understand. We live in a world that says you've got to have it all together. I mean, even some Christians say, God helps those who help themselves. But that's just not true. Brian reminded me that God isn't trying to work with us because we're in a position of strength, because we are in a position of need. We need God's provision. We need his kindness and forgiveness. We need his refuge. We need him to be involved with the intimate details of our life. We need his son. So come to the field of grace where you don't have to have it all together. You just have to surrender. So let's spend a minute reflecting on that. Let's spend a, a, about 30 seconds here reflecting on our need for the Almighty's grace. And then I'll close us in prayer. Father God, we thank you that, uh, that, that you have revealed to us that, that actually, Lord, we, we really, we aren't worthy. But you see us as that because of your son. Lord, we're grateful that, that you have loved the unlovable in the world's eyes. That, that you have, that, that you've sent your son to empty himself to become a servant so that, Lord, we could be in relationship with you. Lord, there's no better position than to be in relationship with you. And we get that because you have given us grace. May that shape the way we think about you. May that shape the way we think about people. And, Lord, may you be glorified when we live out softened hearts by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Yo, hey, who, the, I mean, this week, who in your life needs to hear about God's redeeming love? 
share the message of God's uh, gracious gospel with someone this week and, and tell them about Jesus. And if you need to hear that, if you're someone who needs to just be reminded of God's gracious gospel, reach out. I'd love to share and remind you of the goodness of God. Here now, our benediction. John 1 is where this comes from. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law has, was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday.